Hello and welcome to the Something Inventive podcast, episode 7, Double Glazing Salespeople. Anne and I tackle the new Twitter support DMs, optimising a site for hidden keywords, thank you pages and more on WordPress hacks. How are you doing Al? I'm great, thank you. Um, a little out of breath as I've... Uh, are you? What have you been up to? Yeah, I, this morning I, I had to shift a lot of oak. Uh, oh, someone right. I know down the road <laughs> having a kitchen fitted and they had a lot of oak left over. Nice. So they know that I'm... Uh, ready to put into to, for yours? Well, just little off cuts really. Mm-hmm. But knowing that I'm a kleptomaniac when it comes to oak, uh, they gave me a call. So I've just been shifting it up the road. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. There's a, a friend of mine who's been doing their roof. and In fact, they're doing a whole um, extension and there's lots of wood floating around the outside and I've got my eye on it while I was helping them. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Skip rustling. It's, yeah. It's a great, um, yeah. It's a great little hobby. <laughs> right. So we get straight into. Um, these al you know we were talking about little printer before you were talking about whether it would be nice to print out um more things and i told you about little printer well actually it's, it's no longer for sale and in fact it's i don't think it's been for sale um in 2015 <laughs> i thought i'd seen it recently for sale maybe that was on ebay but yeah apparently they... it was ahead of its time i know it, i think i think it was a lovely thing it had a really good audience but yeah they, they stopped the service for it back in mid 2015 and in fact, they've, I think they've open sourced it because there's a lot of people who want to, who still use have one and want to, want to keep playing with it. Um, so sorry about that if everyone rushed on and had a look. But yeah, they've got, if you just search for a little printer, they've got a little um, Tumblr blog on there. And it, it, you know, if you were interested, it tells you a bit more about that. What else have I been up to? There were some new MacBooks available. Apple had an event and launched a lot of new MacBooks. Uh, I was um, eagerly looking to upgrade ours here. But looking at the price of them and actually what um, developments they'd get me, I um, moved away from that and actually went for a new iPad instead, um, which is something I used many years ago when we first started doing the coaching. And it was really useful for meetings. And I thought it's actually quite cumbersome to have, I know it sounds silly, they're quite a small laptop, but it's quite cumbersome to have these Mac laptops with you for meetings. And especially if you've got two meetings in a day, for the length of meetings we have, it runs out of battery power. <laughs> It's quite oh. frustrating. So I'm trying the iPad again. And that's while we're podcasting, I've got all our notes on that. I've got um, a nice little um, portable keyboard that I use. That, is that a regular Mac keyboard? Yes, it's a regular Mac keyboard that you can pair it with your iPad. Now, to save money, <laughs> they're quite expensive. I bought a Swedish one. They're all quite pricey. <laughs> hey, that's, you know. So, that's as nice. long as you remember where the ampersand is and like the at sign and like other grammatical things on the keyboard, that's fine because... They're not the same on a Swedish keyboard. Do you know what? I actually don't mind typing on the glass. I'm fine on fairly quick because I'm not a touch typist. I'm a sort of um, hunt and peck, I think they call it. And I'm quite fast at that. So moving from any keyboard to any, it doesn't matter because I just, I look down at what I'm doing. But it's the battery power. I mean, the laptop I've got is great, but it really only lasts four hours at max. Uh, if you're using it continuously, which you are for a meeting. Where's an iPad? So good. I've had, had it last all day and come back and it's, uh, you know, 50%. Um, still full, which you need, you know, because I'm all, all we're doing is typing notes, just typing notes and taking pictures or scribbling things. So, and maybe it's the wrong decision. We'll see. <laughs> but just moving on, um, a guy I've known for quite some time. In fact, I worked with him um, at Herefordshire Council a while we were doing the Create program called Ben Catley Richardson. He's um, he's now a freelance um, copywriter, and he um, he wrote an interesting guest post for our website, guest blog. 
uh, for our website on um, it's called your real social network and it's it's really about guest posting or one of the aspects of guest posting and so he's demonstrated the point of guest posting by putting a guest post on our blog I like the idea of that um, but what it's talking about is essentially finding there are lots of companies out there who have what he calls a content gap so they need content to, to fill their regular slots on their blog and so that can be that can be hard work for a company to keep finding those new topics and so what he's suggesting is actually getting if you can be that person who can find um uh, a company that has a similar audience to you and then go and suggest that you uh, work together on posting a blog item whether it's something you collaborate on or you can just write it yourself and put it on there so he's basically demonstrated that by guest posting on ours but it's something i recommend to clients it can be quite good if you can find a supplier for example and you can work with them to put a, a post on your site. I think it can be a good good way of getting some different exposure and a, through a similar audience. Mm, and you've got two sort of streams of uh, of social media and, and of followers to read that same article, which promotes both of you, presumably. Yeah, that's right. If it works well, then uh, they'll be invested enough to retweet it out to their followers and you're going to get a little bit more traction plus a link back through to your site. So it's, it's another link on the web through to your site, which yeah. is always good. And so, it's new people, isn't it, too, which is important. Not just the, your same followers necessarily. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's new new people. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And idea. you can sweeten the deal by having a guest blog the other way. Um, I'm sure there's something we're looking at with a client where they're an architect and there's so many people they work with from surveyors to planners to kitchen not like the council planners but people outside of that um, who help with planning applications uh, kitchen companies lighting interior designers there's so many different people they work with um, just building up the relationships to allow them to put posts out on other people's websites to get social media links back I think if you partner with the right people, it can actually make that job a lot easier and a lot more fun and a lot more useful. So that you can see that on our blog. It's actually the latest one at the moment. But if you search for uh, Rather Inventive, uh, your real social network, that should come up in Google. Before I do that, let's talk about the sponsor. Um, the sponsor is TikTok. And if I can get to my notes, I'll read it. Um, so TikTok is for any startup or small business who wants uh, to promote themselves online. Uh, especially good if you don't know where to start, who to trust, or you feel you're just too busy running your company to make time for marketing. Um, TikTok might be a good fit for you. It provides all the simple tasks you need to act on right away and not to add to your to-do lists, and it presents them in a nice format. Each task includes examples, downloads, or the steps needed to complete it, plus a big button to tick it off when you're done. We've designed TikTok so you can progress from newbie to pro at your own speed, developing confidence and learning more with each task. Sign up for a free trial today at TikTok.com with just your name, email and no credit card. Um, and if you listen to this podcast, um, let us know by um, mentioning on Twitter, uh, just mention at Rather Inventive or hashtag us, just say something nice and we'll give you another 60 days for free. So that's 90 days of TikTok completely for free. I think that's a steal. TikTok helps you be the boss of your marketing one task at a time. So I've got a few here. We're going to rush through a few, uh, dive in where you need to, Al. So the first yeah. one, and this is something I noticed recently, it's Twitter now supports, it's got support messages. And it gives basically companies, big brands, a lot of options to talk with their customers through direct message, not just uh, in public Twitter, but through the direct message system. 
Um, so I'm just going to quickly mention it here. It's not something I've played with, but I want to mention it to people and perhaps you can let me know that's going to be useful to you. So what you can do, um, you can include a welcome message. So when people direct message you, they'll get an instant welcome message back. Obviously, you don't really want to spam them with the latest product that they can buy, but perhaps a nice friendly welcome message. And by the way, you can only do that if you open up direct messages from anyone. So you've got to allow that first. You can also put support hours in. And it basically, by doing all of that and setting the fact that you are using Twitter for support, it actually highlights you a little bit more in the listing. So that might be a little incentive to do it. I will post a link to the blog announcing this and also a link to the, um, the actual settings because I couldn't find them directly from the Twitter main Twitter page. So I had to use this settings link. Anyway, it's there. I'll post all those in the show notes. Anyone who is dealing with customers, maybe a shop or re any online retail, be worth looking at this because it, it, it might be quite an interesting way of talking to your clients. It does kind of turn Twitter into some, just makes it a bit more like a support desk, which yeah. I guess that's what they're going for here. And I, 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 maybe that feature might be like chargeable in future i don't know twitter always going to need money somehow i know well actually I, I was listening to something the other day because apparently or there have been talks that twitter wants to sell itself to someone you know the company wants to be sold i don't know if that's that's right. the case but anyway th you hear these things from time to time with businesses mm -hmm. and you want to put so, a bid in yeah <laughs> well something i heard is actually twitter is is quite a good business it just has too many staff and if you were to actually streamline the operation the amount of staff it has, it's quite, it doesn't make enough money compared to you know, Facebook and Google. And in fact, I think it's posting losses at the moment. But if you were to streamline it, it could actually be a really good business. And obviously, streamline means redundancies, but you know what I mean? Perhaps they've just grown a bit too, too fast. So actually, there's a good business there. But what I find interesting is these are direct messages, so they're not public. You know, Twitter, yeah. often in the past, we've advocated Twitter being a good public support platform. But this is advocating mm. it as a, as a private method. Mm. There is a sort of unwritten rule, really. If you've got a problem, let's say, I don't know, with train delays or you've got a problem with your electricity supplier or something, you know, if you just email them, you know, they'll never get back to you. If you kind of shame them publicly on, <laughs> they hate that and they'll get mm. back to you and they'll be, oh, everything's fine. We'll, we'll give you compensation or we'll fix it. And da, da, da. you know, there's that, there's that ethos there with, with Twitter and other social media where if you, if you make it public, the problem, they don't like that at all. You know, yeah. they don't want that publicity. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It, it is almost a sort of, you know, pseudo support system. Yeah. Without meaning to be one. That actually yeah. does work more in the favour of the customer than the, the company. I, yeah, I, I think uh, for me, Twitter's aim is just to keep people using Twitter and get them to use it as much as possible. The more they're in that, the app or on the website, the more they are reading adverts essentially. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So I can see it from that. But you're probably right. It could grow into something big. Also, from a business point of view, the more useful Twitter is, the more likely they are to want to use it as an advertising platform as well. Mm. Just uh, as an offshoot from your um, staff thing, uh, here's, here's a quick uh, pop quiz. How many, how many paid staff do you think Wikipedia have? Oh, I Full thought time. it was just the um, the one. Uh, is it Johnny England? I can't remember the guy's the, uh, the owner's name, but he's an uh, English chap, isn't he? So I thought it's just him because he he's the only guy you see at the top of the. Uh... There, it, there is a bit more than one. It is uh... one of the biggest websites. <laughs> no, um, I don't know. I would imagine it's more. It's more. This is paid staff, not volunteers, because there's obviously Correct. lots of volunteer editors. I I think it's more than I would imagine. I'm going to go for 250. It's 11. No way. That's when I when I last read it. It was eleven. Eleven paid 
staff members. Full time, kind of, yeah. Wow. So no, wow, that's amazing. That's the power of the internet and collaboration. That's I, I want to see the Wikipedia link that quotes that. I need to know that for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> due to uh, technical problems, at my end, I can't use my keyboard while I'm doing this, so I can't check it. Yeah. Al has no keyboard <laughs> attached at the moment. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll look into that. That is, that is really yeah. interesting. That, I mean, that's pretty good, isn't it? Because it, that's a heavily trafficked site. Tell you what, though, they could what, do with a bit of a redesign. Website. Yeah. There's a lot going for the simplicity, but there's a lot that could be done just to tweak it. Not to overhaul it completely, but just to tweak it. Do you remember Jacob right. Nielsen, the sort of big usability kind of chap from quite a few years ago? Uh, he was very much like uh, how things should be, you know, laid out simply. The name's familiar, but, but no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's basically a design sort of a bit like that a sort of jacob nielsen looking site that's what i would describe it as is it okay i want to have a look at that yeah not wrong just um yeah yeah very very simple very simple good thanks for that al that's okay i'm sure it's wildly inaccurate but there we are <laughs> everything on wikipedia um <laughs> so moving on to the next one uh this was sent in um by someone i can't i won't mention their name because they haven't said i can yet maybe Ooh. maybe they'll send me an email while we're recording and, and, and let me know but basically they what their question was quite interesting they wanted to optimize for a keyword on their on on a page on their website but without using that keyword on the page <laughs> and they said yeah. it, it's their way of doing it and, it's, and i and they understand how seo works they understand the technology they, they do understand how it works so it's not a stupid question but they basically just wanted they didn't want to mention the word cat flap they make a product that will stop air traveling through a cat flap it's the best way to describe it but i don't want to mention the company name because it will make more sense but basically it's it's a product that helps seal a cat flap better and I, I, even i call it a cat flap but but basically they refer to it as a pet flap or pet door and anyway they didn't they didn't want to use the word cat flap and i'm not I, I need to dig into why but they didn't want to use the word cat flap which is totally fine but if you if you look at google trends and try and analyze um what keywords are being used and you put cat flap in and pet door Actually, cat, cat flap is top. It's what, what I would assume would come top. It's most searched. It's most used. So my gut reaction is, yes, use that term. If that's what people are using, you've got to use that term. And it's competition is high. Yeah, but that's the term people use when they think of it. However, when I first ran the search, I was running it worldwide. And what came up is that pet door is much, much higher than cat flap worldwide. So if you've got an international audience, actually pet door is the one to go for. Is that um, a, so an English? That's a kind of an English term for a yeah. In, in it, if you yeah, if okay. you if you just search in UK, it, cat flap is um, is overwhelmingly the the highest search phrase. So I thought that was quite interesting. You know, you could be clever with that. As in, if you do have a, a product that is kind of known, or you want it to be known as something else, I think you do need to mention it on the page. I mean, if you've got something, okay, cat flap's a good example. You need to sort of say this isn't just a cat flap you know you need to just put the words in there but not describe it as a cat flap but describe it not as a cat flap but you're yeah. still mentioning those keywords yeah and, and I th I, that's that's essentially the advice i gave is that yeah. they're going to need to mention those words somewhere but they don't need to dwell on them i mean obviously that just some sort of basic seo for for people who don't know um is that any keyword you want to optimize a page for or basically make a page be found in in google search results is to make sure it's in the meta title so that's what usually appears in the um, tab of safari or chrome or whatever browser you're using that's the meta title um, and you also want it in the url so that's the the bit that is normally whatever your domain is dot com forward slash and then whatever your product name is in, in there they're really important spaces and then the title that's actually showing on the page 
Mm, and we tend to make them very similar. And so they're the they're the main places. If you're optimizing for a keyword on a page, that's where the keyword needs to go. Also, position is important. The higher up the page, broadly the better, and the more to the left, the better, certainly in, in a title. But I did offer some alternatives that if they didn't want to mention those specific words on there, then you could write blog posts or create other pages that have those search terms on and refer them back to your main page. That's one way of doing it, particularly if it's on another site. So if you're looking at, a, I don't know, a vet has a forum on their site for their customers to talk about very small animal ailments, then you could mention cat flaps on there and then link that back through. And that would, in some cases, have a higher weight than the actual keywords on the page. Here's an interesting idea, which I just thought of. Would it be possible to um, break a keyword across two sentences? Like um, Google obviously looks at proximity. So if you had cat at the end of a sentence and then started with flap, at the beginning of the next sentence. I think logically speaking, it should work, but I think Google might be cleverer than that. Cleverer than me? Yeah, <laughs> we we have, right. we've used that <laughs> technique before with a client where they need to specify the location, but it didn't quite work in the phrase we wanted. So we put comma Herefordshire. And so, and that was fine. That worked because you're mentioning the keyword. So I, I think mentioning the keyword works, but I think having them together. Yeah, I mean, certainly experiment with that. It's something, you know, you can try at a push if you really need to. Yeah, um, I think that'd be a last resort. To yeah, honest, to be honest. I, I think you just got to get the keyword on there, get the popularity, get a high ranking, and then you can slowly remove the keyword is the way I look at it. Don't worry about it too much. Um, the other option is to um, use Google AdWords and just splash the money on it. I mean, that way you don't need to use that term at all on your site, mm -hmm. on your page, and you just pay to get that. Uh, ranked highly but it's not organic you know you're, you're going to have to keep paying for that term all the time um so i wouldn't recommend that uh, unless you really must do that so i, I thought that was interesting and not specifically about the um, particular term that they, they did or didn't want to use if you look at the other way that a lot of people just don't use the term to optimize you know they're not adverse to using a particular term to optimize their their website they're just not using it because they've never thought about it like that maybe they're using a term that they use internally within their company it's not the term that customers use. So it's worth having a look. What would be worth doing is um, I'll put a link to Google Trends in the show notes as well, which is a very quick way to get an idea of how popular a keyword is. And you can actually put a few in. You can see how the popularity has changed over a period of time. It doesn't give you all the other details that um, the Google Keyword Planner gives you, but it's, it's easy to use and it's free to access. So that's quite a cool one. This is a quick one I actually got over to, over Twitter. It's a direct message, funnily enough. And um, it's a woman I know called Jane, and she is having problems with a client who thinks marketing is just smoke and mirrors. And I think a lot of people might think that, particularly if they're paying quite a lot of money for it. Linked with this, I think people conflate advertising and marketing together and think of advertising as something they're just paying money for and they can't tell whether it's working or not. And they'll link and lump marketing in with that. Anyway, she asked, what's the best approach? How do you talk to someone who who has got very much a block about marketing and doesn't want to seize it as a waste of time? And my very short description back is, if you look at marketing as making sure the right people know about your product or service, first and foremost, is finding the right people and then making sure they know about it. It's not selling them something they don't want just making sure they know about a product that they might want and making sure they have all the information they need to make a decision to buy from you. So it'd be like a car website having as much information on there as a 
a VW Golf owner needs to make a decision about buying the latest VW Golf if that's what they wanted rather than having pushy sales messages or phone calls. It's putting the message, the information out there so people can search on the web and find the product. Yeah, there is more of a, um, a switch at the moment between almost like pass passive marketing, if that's the right phrase, where people really go and find out stuff rather than wait to be sold stuff. Yep. And that's a complete you know, change from how things used to be before, well, before the internet, I guess, where, yeah, you see lots of messages to buy things, whereas now people will go and find that out themselves. Uh, and so marketing's kind of reversed a little bit where you've just got to give more facts and figures and, like you say, open the door for uh, people to be able to find out things for themselves. Yeah, that, it's um, inbound and outbound marketing. So outbound um, are the pushy sales messages uh, and sometimes necessary. You know, there's nothing wrong with outbound marketing, but it is all about you um, interrupting people and then yes. inbound marketing where you put things out there for people to find. Yes, I mean a classic. I mean, I guess I get lots of things through the post from a you know a certain blind company mm -hmm. uh, selling trying to sell us blinds. <laughs> think, nope, don't want them this month. Nope, don't want them yeah, this month. But one and month then, you funnily might. Funnily enough, no, funnily enough, one month we thought we need some blinds. We, we gave them a call. this is completely irrelevant, really. <laughs> gave them a call. They came out, didn't show us any blinds, and actually didn't want to sell us any blinds. So their advertising worked, but then they they failed. Basically. They, they utterly failed. All we wanted to do was see some samples. They said we weren't ready to have them yet. This is absolutely true. We weren't ready to put them in yet, so we yeah. weren't interested in talking um, figures or showing us any samples. That's terrible. So that's, that, that's absolutely terrible, yeah. So will we use them again? No. <laughs> will I recommend them? No. No. So they've blown it. So all of that <laughs> yeah. money they spent sending you literature, they got the, they got, they got the lead, which is what they wanted. So yeah. basically, that, you know, that's worth it. Um, they've justified it, and then they've blown it on the sale. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so there we are. Well, that's that is really interesting, actually. It might be um, next time we speak. I'd like to know more about that. I'm I'm always <laughs> fascinated about other companies who have what I would call a traditional sales process, and there's, mm. you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes when a customer comes to you and they're not ready, you don't blow them off like that. No, I you know. know, a lot of people will will do that. A lot of people were planning their house long in advance, yeah. and so you want to you want to capture them. Yeah, double glazing is another, I guess, classic uh, industry where, yeah, it's very throw it out there and hopefully some of it will stick. It's all about numbers, isn't it? The more people you can reach, 1% of those might, you know, be wanting to change their windows and stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And they want to make the sale then and there. The moment the lead comes through, they want to make the sale. Yeah. Otherwise, that's it. They don't follow up. And in fact, Again, we... as, an <laughs> as an anecdote, someone cold called us once for double glazing. And as it actually happened, we were looking at double glazing companies that very week. So I amazing. So I was like, yes. We are interested. I mean, they couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> this never and, happens. <laughs> and do you know what? They never called us back. They never came back to get the lead. I said, we've got this many windows. They didn't call us for two months. Um, so it's all very well you know, getting the lead. But, you know, you've got to come back and provide the service that that person was, was asking you for. And yeah. in, in this case, it's a quote. It's, you know, it's a strong lead. Not interested. So... That's wasted, absolutely wasted. Yeah, but for me, I'd look at that as an opportunity to put you into another pipeline where we can keep you warm, so to speak, about so when you are ready to buy, you're there. You, that actually, we're the only company you're going to choose because we're the nicest company you're looking after you. I don't know what that could be. Maybe it's like, well, let's put you onto a newsletter list where we'll send you tips 
on um, the latest fashion. So we can educate you more about what you should be buying when you're ready to buy. I, I don't, you know, we, mm. you talk about that on a case by case basis, moving those prospects into into somewhere else. And that's a relevant double glazing story is uh, as we were contacting other companies, we got a quote through another company. And then several months later, we got an email from them, a bit like you're saying, like a newsletter email, mm. just saying, oh, we're having a sale or something like this. But this is a crucial error, which a lot of small companies make. They sent it to every person so I could see everyone else's email address. Oh, wow. And in the cutthroat world of double glazing sales, that is a very, very, you know, you, you, you know, you'd really cut your right off to get a list of like 100 people who are interested in double glazing. Well, that's so, just bad. I mean, that's just a yeah. data protection issue. It is. That's and it's just because someone's been given this list and said, oh, send an email to these people. Yeah. It's so simple as just putting it into the BCC field. And again, this is a, just a useful tip. If you're doing low-level emailing of lots of people, anything higher than, I don't know, what do you think, 10 or 20, you'd be at best to use something like MailChimp or Campaign Monitor, which does all that for you. You've got uh, yeah. tracking. It's way better. No, I was going to say we should pick that up as another topic, I think, because there's a lot more to say. But, um, yeah, if you're sending to a, just a handful of people a BCC, otherwise... Mm even 10 to be honest but yeah okay let's say 10 but then move to mailchimp or campaign monitor yeah. and and the reason for that is if if that is considered spam and you get blacklisted because you're doing it regularly if you've got a, a bigger company with your own mail server then you won't be able to send anymore um, and that's not good we've had clients in the past many years ago when I was doing IT that you know they had that issue and we advised them against it i believe your emails more likely to get through uh, if it goes through True. authorized channels yeah. um, it's uh, worth uh, spending a bit of money on it I mean, and again, it's just a quick, simple thing. Don't have much faith in that company now. But um, if any one of those people then sold our list onto a double glazing company, yeah. we're going to be hounded. It's that um, possibility that someone will try and then sell us double glazing over email for the rest of time. <laughs> so one of the points there is whatever method you use, don't blow it. Don't mess it up. You know, there's no point you spending a lot of money, time and effort to get a lead and then mess it up. If you didn't want to go with them because you didn't like them or you didn't like the designs or they were too expensive, that is fine. But for them to not be able to meet some of your expectations or um, get in touch with you in a timely manner and, and to tell you basically to piss off, I think is, <laughs> is not nice. We should move on, but yes. I would like to come back yes. to that. Just finishing off this one. So basically I said that marketing is to make sure that people have the right information to buy your product or service make it easy to buy, which obviously these double glazing companies have not, and then make, make the experience of buying and using the product so good that they need to tell other people. And if you've got that, then you've got a nice cycle because then by telling other people, they're self-referring back into the system again. But perhaps we could look at that. It'd be nice if I can get some permission from a few clients to explain how their pipelines work, because I think that'd be interesting for people. Al, do you want to pick up the next one? Memorable thank you page. Um, so yes, a memorable thank you page. Something that uh, I was buying, I buy occasional bits and bobs online and it was just something I saw recently. I bought some bolts and on the thank you page, there was just a little picture of this little kid kind of with his thumbs up um, saying um, order success, you know, after I've gone through the payment thing where you're a bit worried, did it go through? Is everything okay? Have they got my order? It was just perfect, perfectly pitched. And I don't know if that's part of a, some kind of online e-commerce package or if it was just this particular site that has that. I just really liked it. It was it was just um, a little, very quick to understand thing saying, we've got your order. Thanks very much. Everything's great. Yeah. Which is kind of just what you want out of a thank you page. Mm. And it just got me thinking that I had such a good feeling from it because I've never seen that before. That, and I just suddenly started to think, do you know what? The thank you page after you buy something is really underutilized. 
on any other shop that I've ever been on. It's just one of those things that's been hanging around since the beginning of online sales, I guess. Let's just think about this as a, a real life shop, if we make that comparison. So on an online shop, you might buy something, you go through the to checkout, as you might do in a shop, and then you pay for it, and that's great. And then what do we normally put on a thank you page? You put, would you like to go back to the homepage? Yeah. Or would you like to continue shopping? Yeah. So let's just, let's just say you go into a bookshop and, and you buy a book, you pay for it at the till, and the person says to you, would you like to go outside and come back in again? Or <laughs> would you like to you buy like something to buy else? Anything else? Well, no, because I've just bought this. I, in, the, in the 10 seconds that it's taken me, I don't really want to buy anything else. I've, I've done that. And I don't really want to go out and come back in again. I've already done that. I don't really see the point in that. Uh, and they don't sort of then just kick you out on the street, you know. There's various things that happen on the way out of the shop, which tries to get you to come back again or to remember it, you know. So there might be some promotion. Um things by the door there might be something maybe a little free gift um when you buy something you might just pop a little thing in there you know high street retailers might yeah just say here's a little book of vouchers which you can spend and it's something you weren't expecting so it's mm. not like it, it's like an extra it's like um yeah it's, it's just a bonus which makes you feel good and you think oh that's good you might not use it just it gives you that little plus one about that that shop over another shop mm-hmm. and so on <laughs> thank you pages i just miss they're just wrong aren't they because you do have this go back to homepage i don't want to go back to the homepage i've done all that here i yeah. am i bought something from you let me want to come back again you know give me some confidence that you got my order and don't just show me a boring receipt page with numbers and stuff it is because that's another thing in a shop do you look at your receipt in detail no no you get a nice smile and thank you rather than online you get this detailed receipt you know who looks at that in a shop detailed you don't stand there thinking i'll just check the vat is correct you know it's, it needs to be a little bit more humanised in a way. Or... I think what's what's interesting is the difference between how people would talk to other customer in a shop and how they talk to them online. And there's a funny video I've seen just recently because I'm preparing a, a presentation and it's for some retailers and it's relevant, where uh, this guy comes up to a till and he wants to buy uh, a product and they're talking about whether he wants shipping, how he wants the shipping. And, and it's basically they're using e-commerce language in a physical, <laughs> a real world mm-hmm. situation. And you can see how it just doesn't work. It seems odd. It's confusing. It's, it's hostile in places. And I think that goes along with the thank you page. You know, it just it doesn't yeah. seem there's more you can do, not only because you, you make them feel like they've done the right thing by buying whatever they need to buy. I think it does depend on the retailer. I think if Amazon gave me, if, if they were too over the top in their um, thank you page all the time, then mm. that would get a bit annoying. <laughs> I mm. think that just it, from that case, you might want to say the first time they purchase something, let's make it really big and special. Um, or if they haven't signed yeah. up to our newsletter and they're going to get fun things, discounts, offers, whatever. But after that, you just want a, a, a thumbs up. Yeah, I guess you could look at it like, um, let's say Amazon or something like that, mm. as being like a big shop. So like a supermarket or something. A little bit less personal, maybe. You know, where you're on a, literally on a conveyor belt putting mm. your goods through and you go, you know, you put you bag it all yourself and then you leave. You know, there's no chit-chat. Well, there's a bit of chit-chat, but it's, it's usually quite quick. There's a lot of people behind you yeah. in a queue. Whereas in a small shop, in a local shop, you'll have a little chat. It'll be very nice, friendly. And so I think that's where little shops and smaller online shops can benefit. Because yes. you wouldn't go into a little local shop and then you pay and they go, and they just say, well, there's the door. <laughs> Would you? And that's what, kind of what you get. <laughs> <laughs> here's a really large receipt to carry out with you <laughs> bye yes, here's a massive receipt which you must look at and there's the door so yeah. 
Yeah, and, it, and it's what's well, for anything. It's not. It's not just thank you pages on retail. It's thank you pages on forms. Um, particularly if, if it's part of a sales process, we use forms a lot um, as part of a sales process. So someone is interested in something, um, and the next step is to fill out a form to get a callback. Well, it would be nice on the thank you page to say what's going to happen. So tell people before they fill out the form, this is what will happen if you fill out the form and click this button. And then on thank you page, thank you for doing that. We've got this information. We will now do this. And then, you you know, also having a happy picture might be quite good as well. Mm. Or giving them additional information. What's going to happen? These are some questions we're going to ask you uh, if, it's, if it's going to be a more detailed interview. I think preparing people and using that space is quite, is, is certainly a good idea. Mm. I should say that you know online, unlike on a, in a real shop, you you can have this sort of follow up email, which a lot of shops will send, saying yeah. you know, thanks for your order. You get that online receipt. Thank you very much for your order. Um, you know, and then you sort of get put on a mailing list and you get mailed later. You know, and so forth. But it's um, that's great. But it's just that immediate on screen thing, which people are going to see. I don't always open the emails, like receipt emails. Why would I? I've already seen it online. I don't need to check yeah. it. I've got in fact, you, you might have auto uh, something that automatically files it away and does stuff to it. So anyway, yeah. No, I've just got one massive giant inbox. <laughs> yes, let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so I think I, I think it definitely is worth thinking about. And if um, if you have a thank you page, um, go through, fill out the form, buy something, and have a look and see if you're a customer. Would you like that? I think. Yeah. You know, what could make you do it, just to make it prettier, nicer, friendly? More friendly. Funny and memorable, mm. you know, just, yeah, funny. It's, it's okay with a bit of humour, maybe. There's also about whether it's worth telling other people about it. I have seen that on other thank you pages where it asks you to basically tweet that you've just bought X, Y and Z to your friends. That may or may not apply. I think it really does depend what you've just bought and what, what the company is like and mm. um, how close your customers are to you. But I think that can be worth encouraging people if it's right. It's the right thing to do. Tell you what I don't like getting is a discount code for the next purchase. So I'm like, oh, I really, I really wanted that off this purchase. Actually, you that know what? Little, the, that sometimes can work against somewhere. Yes, and the, the worst are these um, plug-in systems where they say, well, if you fill out this survey and do do this series of steps, then we'll give you a discount for the next time. And they're mm. they're actually external companies who are. Um, oh, I did I did go through the process once. But basically just trying to find out other information and get you to see other sites and other offers. And I don't like that because you're basically destroying your brand. You're, you're, you're ruining it, really. And, and, you know, just for a quick buck here or there, or just for a little bit of extra engagement, I don't think it adds any value to it. Mm. I'll have to try and find out what those are called. Um, Al, we want to keep this one short. How to fix a WordPress <laughs> hack in five minutes. Go on, you can do it. Uh, this, that's a challenge. OK, yeah. here we go. So last week we talked a little bit about um, trying to prevent like a WordPress hack or virus on your uh, WordPress site. Here I'm going to talk a little bit about what to do if all else fails, your site does actually get hacked. So how do you know you've got a hack? Your site may just be performing a bit differently to normal. You may notice things like gallery sliders, like photo galleries or anything that has a bit of interactivity to it on your site. It's either broken or act a bit weirdly. The reason for that is sometimes hacks can affect the JavaScript on a site mm. and you'll notice that things just a little bit odd. And if you haven't changed anything, it's usually something like that. So I'm not going to go too far into sort of trying to diagnose JavaScript errors, but it's just a visual thing you'll see. It's not it's a fun thing working. to dive no. into. <laughs> Another thing is you may, I found a site recently with a tiny link at the bottom, right at the bottom of the page to like sites who are black hat SEO companies mm -hmm. to forward links to themselves. And there was just a little link at the bottom, you know, so that's something to look at. Um, another reason you might know is your host may have emailed you and said, we've noticed your site's been hacked. Depending on your hosting company, they may or may not have that procedure. And it will say you've got like 
five days to clear it up or we're going to put it on hold or they may have already put it on hold again mm. it, they have different processes more often than not they'll say we've detected these suspicious looking files on your site and now your site is inaccessible so that's the first you know about it and also your site's offline and so you've got to react pretty quick i don't really like site the hosting companies that do that because once your site's offline it's very difficult to fix it if you don't know what you're doing mm. it really is because once when you're it's online you can do things um like using wordfins which i mentioned last week that's very good for um identification of things that have, have happened so so that's the wordpress plugin isn't it wordfence it's a bit like a virus scanner but for your site free version is still very powerful and very useful mm. i use it frequently it would be my first go-to place just to find out what's what it doesn't detect everything but it detects pretty much everything and you can run a, a wordfence scan on the site it'll look at all the files on your site and just pull out things that it thinks looks a bit bogus based on previous hacks on other sites so as time goes on, it will sort of grow its intelligence. And with, it has regular updates as well for like new vulnerabilities and things. And it will just give you a list of all the files on your site, which it thinks are bogus. Some might not be, um, but it's generally pretty good at finding those. And it will just also tell you if it's a WordPress core file or not. So to the untrained eye, you wouldn't know if, if a file was meant to be there or not, mm. because they're generally called things, which you'd be like, oh, I don't know, is that supposed to be there? <laughs> you know, WordPress itself, comes with a lot of files i'm not sure how many it's a lot of mm. files you know all neatly ordered and a hack may just add a little file into one of those folders which you would never know meant to be there or not so wordfence will say this isn't a wordpress core file this isn't supposed to be here so you can pretty much safely delete that so that's gone and you can do that from the WordFence console. If you take regular backups, that will help you give you more confidence to, to keep things clean. But a lot of people just aren't checking their site on a regular basis. You know, they're not even necessarily looking at it if they're a company. They just expect it to be out there and be working. So having something like WordFence and someone who is looking at it on a regular basis to see if there are problems is certainly mm. a good way to make sure that not only you prevent it, but if there are problems, you can fix it. If it comes back and says that it is a core file, but it's been adapted then you're in a bit more of a tricky situation because you'll have to take out the bogus code, which can be very difficult. It's a bit like surgery, really. Yeah. You know, you have to take out bits if that does it. So would an update, if you if there was an update available for, to WordPress, would if you updated that, would that help? Absolutely. So that, that's what I do in that case. I'd, be, I'd replace all of the WordPress installation. And when I say installation, that is just the core WordPress files. And so um, what's the best so, way of doing that? Using the built-in updater or to download well, the fresh if version? Your site's been, yeah, if your site's been taken offline by your host, you can't use the updater. You can't no. get to the site. So it, again, it's, an, it's another blocker for, to help you. So you can't do it. So you'd have to do it manually, which is not impossible. So what I would do generally, and I'm speaking generally here, is you take a copy of your wp-config file from the root, uh, get a copy of that via FTP. Um, also download your themes folder, which has got your kind of WordPress theme template files in it, and also your uploads folder, both of which live in the wp-content directory. Those are the things which kind of really personalize your site. There may be other things are specific to your installation or have a plugin uses that are things in that you wouldn't want to delete. But on the whole, I just do that. And then I would um, delete all the other uh, WordPress files and then upload them all again. Mm. And, and <laughs> actually, it's important to delete Sorry, them because if you're just overwriting them, sure, if the, the, you'll make sure that you've got the latest copy up there, but you won't remove any bad files that, that weren't meant to be there. So I think exactly. you're right. And by the way, this is not easy peasy. I mean, this no. requires a bit of confidence <laughs> yeah. to do. So that the prevention is certainly better than, than curing mm -hmm. this. But yeah, that, that's essentially it, isn't it? To uh, yeah. take a copy of what is custom.
to you and um, re-upload WordPress. This is all if you don't have a backup. Uh, if you've got a backup of it, you can deploy that. Uh, again, if you're confident that it's a recent backup. Your host may have a facility for you to deploy that. Your host also may take backups for you. We use a host that does have a rolling backup mm. of like a month, but it only takes a backup every week. For clients on our support, we also take regular backups. So we've got to another 90 days after that. So we've got this immediate one on the host and then we've got a secondary one with a different supplier just in case it goes past those days. Because sometimes... Sometimes it can happen. Um, there was a big site, <clears throat> I remember. Um, oh, I can't think of who it was. It was a really big site that had been on the internet for ages, like a forum. And they had backups in place, but they weren't rolling backups. And it just took a backup of the site at the time. There was no historical backups. The site got infected. The backup system ran, created a backup of the infected site. The entire site was lost, the entire thing. And there was nothing. It was just all nothing. <laughs> Yeah. Back up your backups <laughs> and check them. Yeah, it's a pain. Uh, um, it is I, a pain, but you've got to look at it. I mean, if you've got, you've got a car that you know you drive around, you know, you, if something breaks on that, you have to fix it. You have to get it MOT'd. You have to maintain it. Otherwise, it will rust and not work, and things yeah, will fall off. It's a good analogy, this, actually. Yeah. So in the same way as your site, you've got to look after it. And, and there is this. Hopefully, it's not so prevalent now, but there certainly was. This idea that when you build a website, it's like a brochure and it's done and you don't have to worry about it again. It's just there and it just works all the time with no maintenance or interference. But it's not, it's not that. You have, the website's never finished. And I always tell this to people, don't I, in meetings. You'll never finish this website because it's constantly going to be evolving, being yeah. changed. And that's, that's a good thing. That, that's a real benefit. And, you know, often if you can combine the support and updating as part of general improvement of the site, then it feels more beneficial than just thinking, oh, it's just cost. You know, I just have to keep this supportive. Actually embrace that and say, let's spend the money on making this a really good site and improving and developing it um, every day. Yeah. You um, wouldn't let your physical shop fall into disrepair, would you? No. Because your customers well, wouldn't want it. Because something might fall, on the, fall out of them from the sky. There's definitely <laughs> you know, some but, shops like that. But you, you're always a bit hesitant going in them. Yeah. Exactly the same with an, you know, another shop. You've got to look after your customers. And if your site's hacked and it's downloading things to their computers, that's not looking after your customers. Yeah, it's not good. We, we're going to have to wrap it out. Um, okay. it, I think, I mean, that was too quick really to go through that in detail. I've got a lot more there. Perhaps I think it's probably probably <laughs> worth it as a blog post, actually, to go through some of those things step by step. What do you reckon? I committed you to writing an extremely long blog post. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> right, you can find Al on Twitter at InventiveAl. I'm at Ben Kinnaird. And if you like this podcast, you know, do let us know. Either send us an email. Um, you can send it to hello at Rather Inventive. You can catch us on Twitter uh, on either of those two or, or just go to the, the Rather Inventive one at Rather Inventive. If you're in Apple Podcast Player, uh, write a review in that or recommend the episode if you're using Overcast, which I, I recommend is a really good podcast player. The sponsor for this episode is Ticked Off. Uh, you can sign up at tickedoff.com. So it's ticked hyphen off. Dot com. Don't go to tiktoff.com. That's just for cats and dogs and fleas and that sort of stuff. <laughs> Quite a different uh, system. Uh, if you mention TikTok and um, rather inventive on Twitter, you get another 60 days for free. Thank you very much, Al. Really good talking to you and speak to you again next month. Okay, I look forward to it. Bye. Bye.